Hey, oh, two things before we get started. Number one, uh, for the second podcast in a row, I forgot to equip my uh, second pop filter, which apparently makes a world of difference, as you can tell right now. And number two, I want to thank Andy, our frequent contributor, for suggesting this episode. Uh, he gives us a lot of ideas, and we want to give him some shout-outs. All right, enjoy. Call my name when the yard starts to tip, and all the lesser animals flee from the ship. Call my name when your body's a hearse, and you're folding your hands to create the church. And hold it. And hold it. It's the cock and bowl. Once again, we're, it's the blue moon has come, Haley's <laughs> comet has passed over, and we're here to give you more content. You opened the enchanted box and out we came. Ha ha! For better or for worse, we're here to teach you a little something. Nathan, let's get our viewfinder out and flip to the Victorian era. Click, click. <sighs> yeah, click, just click. Look, at the, look at those smokestacks. Ooh, oh, no, hold on, that's a kid. That's a kid's arm getting getting ripped off in a thrusher. Click, click. Pitch left. That's tuberculosis that your neighbor's coughing up. Oh. Oh, this appears to be an audio and visual experience. Is that Charles Dickens I hear? Is he reading <laughs> to the poppers? The pause. That's right. We're in Victorian England. And though I've painted the commoner's perspective, our story today is it's going to start with the high society types. Because it always does. Because we're the bougiest of bougie podcasts. It's the only cognitive dissonance I can enjoy in my life. If you were one of the elites, well, this era was simply a revolutionary time, Nathan, for fabric, dyes, and jewels. All of it. It's all It's oh, all uh, quite oh. well remembered for its aesthetics. All the things I can... All the luxury minerals in Civ Six. They're here for you. <laughs> now, one of these high society trends our story is going to focus on today is the surge of deep emerald green clothing oh that's a okay that's one of the themes of our story is green clothes is what you're telling mm -hmm. me that's yes. my first clue okay uh yes. green okay so uh, a little <laughs> start a little thinking about it could i be talking about sylvester mcmonkey mcbean who knows <laughs> So most common were green dresses. Okay. Now, that might sound a little plain. I mean, after all, green clothing's everywhere nowadays. But access to green dye was anything but commonplace back then, especially a dye that could produce such a deep hue as this emerald green. Now, what do you make that out of? Because I'm going to assume if it's in Victorian England, it's out of uh, the crushed up souls and dreams of, I don't know, uh, sub subcontinent India? I thought you just crushed dollars for it. I thought you just crushed American dollars. So it's right. thought that this trend starts with French Empress Eugenie de Montillo, wife Ooh. of Napoleon III. Yes, not the Napoleon that anyone knows about. No one gives a shit about Napoleon III. Not the one we know. Now, when the Empress stepped foot into the Paris Opera one evening in 1864, she was wearing a dress so green it was newsworthy. As a reporter right now, <laughs> I miss how easy it must have been. I mean, I mean now, now Spencer, in, her, in their defense... I mean, I've read, I've read the beat. You know, everyone's, you know, you could do a good bog dog and pony show every once in a while out in out in Macomb. Yeah, but I've never quite had it so easy as to say the mayor wore purple today, and my ha God, Spen <laughs> Spencer. My question to you: Have you tried? I'm gonna put that one in my back pocket. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The classics always come back. Give it a shot. The green of her dress was so intense that not even the gaslight of the opera house could dull it. The fashion statement was an overnight sensation. Soon, green was in the wallpaper, green was in the clothes, and oddly enough, green was even in the food. 
Oh, green egg. Oh, all right. So that second Seuss reference, we're going green eggs and ham. Which is where we get to Theodore Seuss Geigel, better known as you, Dr. Seuss. Born. You no, have, I'm, I'm, no, I'm kidding. I'm I was kidding. about to say, if that was the turn, if you used if you used Victorian England to set up a Dr. Seuss riff, I swear to God. I swear to God. Fun fact, green was invented by the Victorians. Now, <laughs> obviously, green dye isn't as simple as crushing up some grass and calling it a day. I mean, you, you I want- begged. Again, I will ask you. Have you tried? That's amateur shit, Nathan. You want the best green in your wardrobe, your diet, your interior design, then you gotta start with Sheel Green. Now, Sheel Green, if you haven't heard of it, it's a dye concocted by Swiss uh, German chemist Carl Wilhelm Sheel. Spencer, Spencer, did you genuinely ask if I haven't heard of it? Like, uh, like maybe maybe this is something you passed over in all of your years of, of dye study. You know, you know about deep indigos and on the off chance and, and, you weren't paying attention in your undergrad, you may have missed Sheel Green, Nathan. If you I, I definitely did, and I definitely missed its founder, Doctor Irvin von Schielstein. So Carl Wilhelm Scheel, uh in 1775 concocts Sheel Green. So this stuff's been around for almost a hundred years by the time it gets popular, right? I just I just love the concept of inventing a color. Like, bah! <laughs> I've done it! Eureka! Now, well, like I said, it's not quite it's not quite the color, it's inventing a means of putting that color into something, like in a meaning in a in a efficient, lasting way. Inventing a dye, you know, it's chemistry. Is it chemistry? I have a feeling it's not. Was it that long was it a hundred years before it got popular perhaps it was already popular by this time not long after its invention shield green dye was used in kids toys wallpaper cotton food and so on so on so on why food why does it keep what are you putting (laughs) dye in food for people have you ever ever enjoyed like a nice lucky charms (laughs) i mean is that what it is are we put, if we're putting it in kids cereal it, in Victorian England, that's fine. But I I, I know the story of W. K. Post and, and Mr. Kellogg from the Dollop, and they aren't <laughs> around yet. It only took about twenty five years before someone noticed something about Shield Green. However, um, there was an odd correlation between the color green and serious illness. Oh, oh God! It is made of people, isn't it? It's made of people. You made no, it of pe- you made it of people. Shield green, soylent green, who's to, who's to, now that's not to say that people knew what was happening at first. What was rather confusing was the variety of illnesses. It's not just one. It was anything from cancer to mercury poisoning to heart failure, kidney failure. I mean, what the hell's going on? That can't be a dye, right? No, 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 but I'm getting very concerned about something right now, and I'm just going to put that in my back pocket and, and bust it out later if you do give me this aneurysm I think you're going to give me. Well, hey, it's the cock and bull. Of course it was the dye. So let's take a minute to ask ourselves what made Shield Green so special, and, and how did it trump every other dye in the market? Well, to answer that, let's look at what came before. Older green pigments in this area were, were copper-based, as was Shield's, and the most common kinds were made of a copper compound called copper carbonate hydroxide. Now, before you get doze off and switch podcasts, these dyes weren't all that green. So what made Shield stand out? Well, our Swede here had cracked the code. Let's ditch the copper carbonate for some copper arsenite. Arsenic, uh, Nathan. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, it's slightly... I'm All right. I'm actually... You know what? I'm actually kind of calm. Because that's 
this is how much you've broken me. That's an improvement <laughs> over what I thought you were gonna tell me it was. I I, I beg I, you, what were you thinking? I genuinely thought you were gonna tell me that he had like found a uranium mine out back and saw it glowing <laughs> green and thought he had cracked the code and they were just all oh. nuclear glowing ladies. Oh shit, that would have been so good. God, okay. and I'm I'm actually. <laughs> I'm disappointed that I have I have I mean, broken you so hard. Arsenic by comparison is just kind of run of the mill. I mean, arsenic's kind of like par for the course on the show, isn't it? I, I was about to say, based on our last episode, I mean, arsenic's just like passe at this point. We're we're over it. It doesn't kill anyone. <laughs> now, if you're one of our characters from last episode, a, a little constant exposure to arsenic won't kill you. Be that in your food, your wallpaper, your clothes. But for the average person, this little copper and arsenic compound is incredibly toxic. Unfortunately for Sheil, uh, he proved to be quite average. So, I mean, what happened to him, anyway? Well, it turns out he died in 1786, 11 years after the invention of Sheil Green, making him uh, 43 when he died. Pretty young death for the 1700s, all things considered. Now, Spencer, I'm getting very concerned because the tone of voice you're using indicates to me that we're, we're bouncing right along towards something, and I have no earthly idea <laughs> what it is. I feel like the story what? is done. I feel like this was a 10-minute cock and bowl where you just told me the story of how a guy invented green and it killed some people, the end, and I'm, 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 I'm concerned. Yeah, you'd, you'd think that could be where it ends, but you'd be amazed how bad humanity can get. So he dies at 43 after inventing shill green made of arsenic. Well, like most of his contemporaries in an age where there were few methods of chemical characterization, Shiel would smell and taste any new substance he discovered. So rather unsurprisingly, his last 10 or 15 years were characterized by what doctors might call uh, every fucking ailment known to mankind. <laughs> he died of that. No, no, no. List them. Please list them. It's thought he died of mercury poisoning, though ulcers of the stomach are another idea. Was there mercury in the arsenic? That's the thing is death by arsenic can be confused for mercury poisoning. And we'll see also, more of that later. Also, heat stroke. Heat stroke. Also, heat, also stroke. heat stroke. Check last episode if you haven't. Sheil was an unwitting victim of the toxicity of his own dye, and certainly not the last. The toxicity of the dye wasn't broadly understood, and while some may have figured it out, Word didn't exactly spread fast enough. In some cases, even those that knew how dangerous it was didn't care. Such was the case for one shipping company that was running trade to Scotland, namely the shipment of a dessert called Blanc Mange. I think uh, that's very French, but like it, it, it doesn't sound. I, I was really hoping you were going to say all that green beer that they need. <laughs> it could have been that too. Uh, despite evidence of its high toxicity, Shields Green was used as a food dye for Blancmange. It looks like flan. I don't know. It's like it's like Scottish flan. Um, so they dyed it green. Green is not an appealing color in food, especially no, not like it, it just. It's just not. It's just not in desserts. No one wants a green dessert. I will suffer through mint chocolate chip if it is there, but no one is actively seeking it. Why, of all things, if you're like, well. All right, well, we've got to dye it a color. This one absolutely will kill people because it's made of poison. Or maybe we make it purple. Now, this led uh, the, the sheer number of deaths from this green blanc mange, um, which were sold knowingly to them, uh, led to a long-standing Scottish prejudice 
towards green sweets. <laughs> Culturally, they swore off green sweets because of this Probably shit. Probably a good idea. Green usually means spoiled in like most things that aren't vegetables. They're, <laughs> they're fucking ancestors are like, yes, you get it. Don't eat yeah, the green. <laughs> evolution is trying to help you and you're fighting it to shove the green flan in your face. Stop it. Hang on, this is weird. It is. It's a very I, strange tale you're weaving. I, what's weird? No, it's weird. Like I feel like I got a detour in my notes because I can't remember how this next part relates. Um, Napoleon Bonaparte, first of his name. What? How? How have we jumped backwards? Was we jump, emperor, we're dealing with his like third nephew? I thought was emperor of France from 1804 to 1815. We're aware. With a little one-year exile in the middle there. Um, when his reign was ended a second time, though, he was exiled he to St. Helena, um, he an island in the Atlantic Ocean, more than a thousand miles off the coast of Africa. Yeah, it was a rocky outcrop. He, uh, he, he died a slow, miserable death out there. It was great times. He did. The island was a dump featuring an estate called the Longwood House, which had fallen into major disrepair, an obvious effort to deliver a death sentence more than an exile. Now, while it was hardly renovated to allow him any comfort, a small number of changes were allowed. Perhaps most importantly, the fresh coat of paint added to the walls. Oh. My. God. His favorite color was I green. Know, I know this. Holy shit. Oh my god, is that what killed Napoleon? Napoleon's cause of death was generally believed to be stomach cancer. But he died, but ever since he, from the moment he got to St. Helene, like, sorry, Napoleon nerd, like, his, I know history. Um, No, from the moment he got to St. Helena, he complained constantly of, like, every ailment under the fucking yes. sun. Yes, diarrhea, Everything. the common cold, stomach aches, all of it, which can be linked to arsenic exposure. All the same shit you were talking about with the other, oh my fucking God, they killed him with paint. He killed oh. himself with paint because he was the one that wanted the green paint on the walls. Well, he didn't know it had arsenic in it. Damn right he didn't. But the same year that Napoleon dies, a pair of chemists step up to the plate. These guys Watson named uh, Russ and Sattler at the Wilhelm Dye and whoa, White whoa, whoa, Lead whoa, whoa, whoa. Company. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because one of those guys is named after the guys from the Muppets. So if you don't make the other one named Waldorf, I'm going to be very <laughs> upset with you right now. Russ is out. Waldorf is in. They're working at this this uh, chemical plant in uh, Schweinfurt, uh, Bavaria. Yeah. No. Okay. Now stop. Because now I now now we're going to do this scene. Because now I'm just imagining those two up in their little balcony <laughs> doing whatever that is. Going. Oh, we're mixing the chemicals. <laughs> Look at them down on the floor. <laughs> okay. Now you've all got that image in your head. Enjoy. Go forward. They were attempting to produce an improved pigment over Shields Green, which is where they come up. A non-lethal one, maybe? They were attempting to produce this improved Shields Green, particularly so that it was longer lasting and less susceptible to darkening when exposed to certain chemicals. So it doesn't wash out in the wash, but the killing you thing, still pretty much a, a baked in part of the equation. Well, I mean, Nathan, that's, that's a good question. How did Emerald Green turn out? Well, I'm no chemist, but... Judging by the compound's makeup, um, it appears to have three times the amount of arsenic as its predecessor, proving well, even more toxic than the last. Well, that's certainly one way to go about this. That is apps if if you double down, double down. That's what I've been told. Kids, you can you can spill all the mustard and Kool-Aid you want on this shit. It will disintegrate actually before it stains. So it will literally melt your bones off of you. It's it's an amazing weight loss tool, ladies. Put on the green dress and just have a layer of skin slough off every time you disrobe. 
So we can jump all the way forward to Empress Eugenie. 1864. That's that's her time. Empress Eugenie and the fashion world, they're blown away by emerald green. It's been out for like 50 years. It's starting to make its sweeps again. It's starting in France and it's going to work its way around. Emerald green is now called Paris green. As the news begins sweeping through France and England and the elites, they can't get enough of it. So post-impressionist painters like Cezanne, Gargin, and Vincent van fucking Gogh were using it in their paintings. Oh, oh, so the crazy boys didn't have enough things going wrong for them, so <laughs> I'm just going to assume they're licking their brushes to get the tips right, That's, as you do, and so just yep. just sucking yep. down arsenic, just yes, sucking it down. That's, that's 100% what they were all doing, um, but what about those that were wearing it? So let's look at an example. It's like five years later, an example from 1871, when this is reaching Victorian England. See, the arsenic exposure is made worse by a number of factors, how damp it gets and how well the dye was sealed. Therefore, if you have sweaty palms and a cheaply made set of green gloves like this woman did, uh, your gloves cause your arms to break out in massive bleeding blisters. Maybe you shouldn't wear those gloves. That's the conclusion you will immediately jump to. This woman's identity is not disclosed, by the way, but my research just stated that she's of, quote, important and respectable house. Oh, so what you're saying is she was rich enough to get it written out of history that she was so dumb she put on gloves that melted her fucking hands. 100% A+. So newspapers of the time were running ads trying to spread awareness because, like I said, information didn't spread fast enough, so some knew it was dangerous and others didn't. So they ran these ads featuring skeletons wearing green dresses, which, first of all, prompts me to ask, did we have color for newspapers? Also, yeah, I was just about to say, um, how I, I would love if they said, all right, print them with the green. It's just black and white. No one understood it. God <laughs> damn it. It would, it would explain why the message Jay didn't Jonah stick. Jameson just throwing down the paper. Duh! They don't black. get it. I don't understand. <laughs> we should put that green dye on there so they'll know what color. Oh, no. Now we've just given it to them again. Oh. Oh no! It's a get one of the too. Get one of the boys in R and D to just write just write the word green on it like it's a fucking Ben Garrison comic. <laughs> so, <laughs> after a case where one man's socks fatally poisoned him, the you Times God damn the Times God. ran a story asking, "What manufactured articles can we trust if not socks?" <laughs> Anything that's not green, apparently. Just stop wearing green shit. Nobody likes the Celtics. Nobody enjoys anything green. It's a bad color. Get rid of it. Punt it. The environmentalist movement hadn't started yet. Nobody's going green yet. You know, if anything, we're, the, we're going smoky black right now. So I was about to say, you can't see the color of your clothes over the soot that you're covered in anyway. Mary Poppins. One article even alleges the trend of Victorian nobles dying from their beautiful green clothing um, actually breathed new life into the previously existing slang term killer when talking about fashion. So when someone's like, ooh, that's really, that's a killer look, it's like, these people are so goddamn vapid and empty inside that they are putting on clothes that are going to kill them because it's literally, there's nothing else. Why not? Yep. Now, we've gone quite a few minutes into this podcast, I would say about 20 minutes or so, um, without describing the effects of arsenic exposure in full detail. Um, it produces ulcers all over the skin. Diarrhea can come from mild proximity to it. Those who come in close contact might develop scabs and sores wherever it touched. 
It can also make your hair fall out, cause people to vomit blood before shutting down their livers and kidneys. Cancer has even been linked to it, a la Napoleon. But here's the thing. The Empress wore that dress in 1865, and the trend carried on at least into the early 1870s. But was anyone trying to do anything about it? Like, was there a voice of reason trying to stop Dr. Robotnik's mean green machine? Tell tell me there was a doctor that figured it out exactly, posted a full-page ad in the New York Times, and everyone looked down on him just like our hand-washing doctors and all of our other long-forgotten saviors that, that this podcast just loves to bring up and trample upon. Now, Nathan, it just so happens there was mm. one such doctor. We did have a lone, a lone voice in the night. There was a, a curious man. An investigation was opened in 1859. Six years before Eugenie even wore the dress. It was by Dr. Angie Gabriel Maxime Vernois, and that's the last time I will say his full name, a physician whom Napoleon himself consulted at one point. He wanted to investigate the health. That name does sound Wanted to investigate the, the health of artificial flower makers after one particular death caught his eye. But more on that in a moment. The workshop Jesus Benoit, Christ! The stops and the starts! I can't keep I can't keep a hold of this roller coaster. Whiplash. The workshop Vernois had visited uh, was suffering from a fatally ill staff. And of course the people running the factory are like, I don't get it, they're dying. Someone come fix this so I can make more money. He noted that many of the male workers had ulcerations on their green hands, yellow nails, and crater-like scars on their legs. Their genitals even had painful lesions, sometimes reaching as far as the knees. The female workers, on the other hand, had poor appetites, constant headaches, and an anemic pallor to their skin. It was upon watching them work that Venois came to the uh, connection that, that their symptoms were related to the green dye. He observed that the men who added the color to the fabric were applying the emerald green dye directly onto the cloth using their bare forearms, which would often have open wounds from the nails that were holding the cloth in place. I so they're just like rubbing their forearms across fabric because of the broader surface. And while they're getting ripped up by the fucking nails, they're also getting arsenic smeared into the wounds. Yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Nope, nothing wrong with this. This is all par for the course. That all tracks? You're on the same page with me? Okay. I, I, apps. Nope, nothing weird here. Nothing weird. Women, on the other hand, would take the cloth and shape it into the fake flowers, uh, usually with their bare hands. Now, later studies would eventually conclude that less than one-eighth of a teaspoon of arsenic constituted a fatal dose. Unless you are those two two bad, bad people from our last episode, in which case no, no amount of arsenic can harm you. But these workers were dealing with gallons of it per day. Now, just what got Dr. Venois roped into this mess? Well, on November 20th, 1861, Matilda Shearer, a 19-year-old artificial flower maker, was found dead in her home. The formerly healthy, good-looking young woman worked for the same central London dye factory we heard about just a minute ago. Her job was to fluff artificial leaves, dusting them with an attractive green powder that she inhaled with every breath and unwittingly ate off her hands with every meal. Despite the beauty of the pigment, her final illness uh, was nothing short of hideous. I would give you a content warning, but hey, you've made it this far. Quote, She vomited green waters. The whites of her eyes had turned green, and she told her doctor that, quote, everything she looked at was green. 
in her final hours. Alright, mark off your bingo card for the most obvious joke of the episode. <laughs> she Hello. had convulsions every few minutes until she died with, quote, an expression of great anxiety and foaming at the mouth, nose, and eyes. Foaming at the eyes. Foaming! I love the expression of great anxiety. I, I say, Jen, she looks a touch perturbed. I <laughs> a mean, that... I can't. I, I just... When I she's don't. not convulsing and foaming from the eyes, she looks a bit worried. An autopsy confirmed that her fingernails had turned a very pronounced green... I, don't, I think the naked eye could deduce that, but... I didn't really need a doctor for that one, but sure. And the arsenic had reached her stomach, liver, and lungs. Her death, despite all of this evidence, was deemed an accidental poisoning by an official statement from the factory and local authorities. <sighs> oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. Oh, this this is going to make me very, very mad. Because it was one thing when it was the upper echelon that was just dying from wearing their green clothes. There were a lot of workers that died for it, too. That's really the Poor problem. people that yeah. were just earning a wage. Yeah. If the rich people want to uh, want to wear the clothes that kill them because they're, I don't know, not dead inside nihilists, uh, that's fine. But if you bring down the working class with you just so you can wear the pretty clothes that you want to die in, there's something, um, I, I don't know how, how to, uh, irrevocably fucked up about that. A sarcastic news article titled... Pretty poison wreaths. <laughs> Let's just soak that in. We're about to read an Onion article from 1800s. We are at the point where they are writing sarcastic news articles about the thing being bad, and we still haven't just, like, outright stopped using it altogether. It was proved by medical testimony. She had um, been ill from the same cause four times within the last 18 months. Under such circumstances as these, death is evidently about as accidental as it is when resulting from a railway collision occasioned by arrangements known to be faulty. I can't. I just, I, I, I don't. It was so much more fancy back then, wasn't it? They were, but it's like, I don't even, I can't. There has, Spencer, I need a twist here somewhere. I need something that makes this not just you telling me that back in the 1800s, we developed a color that was pretty for rich people and it killed the rich and poor alike only because rich people wanted to look pretty. Diamond mining exists, and that's enough of an existential crisis. But you're telling me that they just wanted to wear a pretty color green, and everyone died because of it. Now, Nathan, when you say, like, a twist, do you, is that, like, a good twist, or, like, it can get worse? I fucking hate you so- I hate, I hate this whole endeavor, I hate this whole project, this is why I only do this once every two weeks. I to the non-medical public, it seemed that Schurer's death was predictable and entirely preventable, and that her life had been cruelly sacrificed to wealthy women's desire for fashionable adornments. After Renoir reported his findings in 1861, the French and German governments passed laws that restricted the production of arsenic-based pigments. But they were what? largely... Restrict! Ban them! Get rid No more poison colors, guys! It's super simple! As loose as restriction might be for the French and German governments in 1861, they were completely ignored by the British government. So it's 1861. 1861, and medical research has compelled two major nations to heavily restrict the manufacturing of this poisonous green dye. And yet, 
almost 10 years later, people are still making it, buying it, and dying from it in England. So in 1860, this is why Brexit exists, because you can't have Europe telling them what to do. In 1862, physician Thomas Orton was called in by a couple by the name of Turner to investigate the mysterious illness that had killed three of their children and threatened the life of their remaining daughter. Now, earlier doctors concluded that the children had suffered from diphtheria and their symptoms were consistent with those of the condition. However, Orton noted that none of the family members or or neighbors had caught the disease, leading him to suspect another cause, the green wallpaper that covered the walls of their home. Oh, my God. It had long been a rumor in the medical community that the arsenic in the paint... This is like 50 fucking years after Napoleon died, right? Like... (laughs) Well, no one can. Everyone assumed Napoleon had it coming. They're not. They're not guessing at that point. No. One, and and the thing. And the weird thing is that this is like not everybody gets sick. So it's like not everyone on Mount on Saint Helena got weirdly ill, but Napoleon definitely did. So I can see them being like, well, it can't be that because we're all exposed to that. But like, it's still fucking insanity. This is lead it paint. Is- this is lead paint on playgrounds. But with just, I can't even. I can't even. 100%. That's exactly what it is for a much broader stretch of time. It had been a long rumor in the medical community that the arsenic in the paints might be released into the air under certain conditions. See, dampness. Creating a poisonous atmosphere in the rooms that used them. So Orton believed this to be the case, though he was unable to save the Turner child's life as she had already been exposed to too much of it. He immediately asked to conduct an autopsy on her body. A certain Dr. Lefebvre uh, ended up being the one to test samples on her tissue, and he determined that the cause of death was indeed arsenic poisoning. At the inquest, however, uh, the presiding judge found his findings objectionable, leading the jury to rule the child's death a result of natural causes. I what okay all right a couple questions first and foremost one um why was there a trial were they suing the wallpaper company tell me they were yes they were. Yes, they were. Okay, because I'm just confused if you were just, like, suing the parents for being complete and utter idiots for for putting up poisonous (laughs) wallpaper, but they may not have known. I can't be sure. Um, Um, And, of course, the judge is going to side with the business owner on that one. So, in the years that followed, the use of Paris green and other arsenic-based greens uh, reached their peak. This is, like, 18, 18, like, late 1870s. We haven't peaked yet while the colors remained fashionable more and more stories of arsenic related deaths came to light and what's odd is the last person to get the memo was the queen so it's been it, let's which, jump forward which to 1879 which queen uh queen victoria oh the one that the, the whole era is named victorian after. queen herself yeah yeah so it's uh it's it's 1879 18 years later uh, and a visiting dignitary was given a room to sleep in the palace. Um, the very next day, he arrived late for an audience with Queen Victoria, saying that he had gotten sick overnight and attributed it to the green wallpaper that surrounded his bed. Oh. In, res- <laughs> oh in response, the queen immediately ordered the removal of all such wallpaper from the palace. When word spread of the incident, households throughout the kingdom followed suit. A mouse-like odor was reported when they removed all the wallpaper. Very indicative of an arsenic-laced substance. I just love that the queen was the last to know. And I love that the the thing that triggered her was a dignitary going, you know, I got sick and I think it might be the wallpaper. 
And let's say she didn't know anything about that. Because now we have a whole other scenario going on. Because I'm going to assume she didn't know that the wallpaper <laughs> actually was laced with arsenic. She just heard a guy say, the wallpaper made me sick, I think. And she made the snap declaration of, tear out all the wallpaper. Of course. Let's go. Because I'm not giving her credit that she knew anything about this. I'm going to assume she's just an insane royal person and they're all inbred this- idiots. The Tsar has been sickened by the green. Put up blue immediately. It's like asbestos. It's like all of the 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 talcum powder giving pe- people ovarian like how this has just literally been going on for all of history. We have just always been yes. making stuff that kills people and not really giving a shit about it. Monsanto Roundup. So DDT. Despite all this. Up to 1879, and traders way back in the fucking like late 1700s, knowing that it's toxic and selling it to Scotsmen, and making them afraid of green sweets forever, forever I, and after. I, that's just a good. It, that's that's. If there's one positive that's been taken away, it's that there should <laughs> that people green, stopped eating no, green things. Just, just stop eating green things that are green, other than vegetables. Sometimes, like we're talking a a nearly 130 year stretch from when Mr. Shield was licking it off his fingers and then dying. To right now when the queen is like, it's killing my dignitaries. Despite all of that, a hundred and fucking 30 years of knowing this shit is killing people. No legislation written regulated the production of arsenic-based pigments in England. None. None. They did nothing about it. The The closest thing the British government did in that regard... And and Nathan, I just want you to make sure you're sitting down, right? Oh, oh, it's the only way I could I could get through these. I'd be dead otherwise. Well, the closest they came to passing a bill controlling the amount of arsenic in food was in 1903. Hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Because when we were talking the other time, we were talking about like regulating arsenic dyes and clothes. This one, you specifically mentioned food. Food. And yeah. So that that to me ra- means. That someone in the House of Commons or Lords of or whatever bu- bougie parliamentary bullshit they did the came room. up and said, "Hey guys, um, you know the poison? I think we should put less of the poison in our food, and that sets the stage for what you're about to tell me. And I'm not comfortable with what the answer is going to be." It would turn out that the buying public wielded more power over the industry than the law itself. Due to a sharp drop in demand for Paris green dresses and wallpapers, production of the pigment stopped altogether in a number of facilities. That we knew about for 130 years. Hey, it's almost like the yeah. invisible hand of capitalism doesn't work fast enough and maybe we should do something about that. Today, arsenic-based greens are a thing of the distant past, at least mostly. Their last use was as pesticides. Not it! What do you mean, mostly? They're still used as pesticides, actually. Paris Green was heavily sprayed well, by airplane in Italy. I um, mean, that, I mean, if you're telling me you're using poison as a poison, that 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 actually jives. I can, I can, buy, I, I can handle poison as poison. That's what it's there for. Uh, it was used to kill the rats in the Parisian sewers. It was also used heavily in the Americas uh, to control the tobacco budworm Helithios verisens. Which is great because putting uh, putting arsenic poison on tobacco really just, mwah, yeah, brings that whole concoction together. Mm-mm-mm, poison on poison. The fear of green still has its uh, vestiges in modern media, however. Green is often seen as a color of evil. 
often seen on the skin and clothes of movie antagonists. Some theorize that the use of green to denote poison in cartoons and early to mid-1900s art was directly influenced by the arsenic scare. It was only in the 1980s and 1990s that green started being seen once again as a favorable color, in large part to that era's environmental movement. Ironically, symbolizing nature and life. That's not irony, that's just depressing. This has been the Cock and Bull Podcast, which is not ironic, just depressing. You can uh, go check out Driftless Pony Club. They write our theme song. I tend to switch it up every now and again, but our most common one is the Buffalo on the Ark off the album Cholera. Ah, the OGs. The OG back. I love the OG. I miss it. Nathan and I have our respective podcasts. Uh, you can catch me on Blunder Phonics. I, I talk about communism over on Mark's Madness. I'm there. I'm doing stuff. We're good. We, we cool. Anyway, we'll catch you guys next time. I got another fun one in the books. Oh, God. Peace. <laughs>